you, Lord. Let me just get into time. Let me just pray before the Lord this morning. Would you just tell him, Lord, it's all about you. I just want to refocus, realign everything in my life to center around you. It's all about you, Jesus. Would you take some time right now just to pray from your own heart and just say, Lord, it's all about you in my life. Everything I say, everything I do, I want it to be all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. Father, we just invite you by your Holy Spirit just to work in our hearts, even this very moment, Lord. And bring about, God, within us a refocusing, a realignment, just to say that life, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. We just want to make Jesus the center of our lives. Do that in our hearts this morning. We just thank you, Lord. We praise you. And Father, in Jesus' name, we just submit this church into your hands. We acknowledge, God, that it's not the work of a man or a denomination or organization, but it's your work by your spirit and through your people for your glory, God. And so we pray your blessing on every person who comes, who's planted in this house, that each one will be nurtured and strengthened in the faith, established in your word, equipped in the spirit. Father, we pray that you'll make us salt and light in our city. Make us a voice to our nation and to the nations of this world. We pray your blessing upon our city, God. We pray your blessing upon every church, every pastor, every minister in this city. We bless them today. And we pray, God, that together we will be able to make a difference in our city. We pray, God, that there will be a rich harvest of souls. Many, many will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in our city. And we extend and pray your blessing upon our nation, Lord, that India will be saved. That in every village and town and city, the name of Jesus will be lifted high. That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and every eye will see Jesus as Lord over our nation. We pray for our land and we give you thanks, Father. Lord, even as we continue your presence this morning, we ask that you will speak to every heart and strengthen every life and meet every need in this place, God. Encourage hearts that are weak and that need to be strengthened and speak into every life, oh God, that as, as people are waiting upon you in moments of decision, that they will hear clearly from you saying, this is the way, walk in it. We pray you will minister to every one of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. You may be seated. Oh, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here this morning just to worship the Lord and enjoy His presence. All right, we're going to get ready to make a declaration this morning. I want you to turn your Bibles to Philemon, Paul's letter to Philemon. There's only one chapter, so it's chapter 1, and we look at verse 6. Philemon chapter 1 verse 6, Paul is writing to Philemon. He says this, he says, That the sharing of your faith, or the fellowship of your faith, or the King James would say, the communication of your faith, may become effective, energized, really productive. That the fellowship of your faith may become effective. How? He continues, By the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. He says, you know, you want to have good fellowship, here's what you do. It's not about, you know, the snack you serve, the biryani you serve, it's not about that. For you to have really effective fellowship, here's what you do. Acknowledge the good things that are in you in Christ Jesus. Amen? Now you should know this by heart. Who you are, that's, let me hear you. Who you are in Christ is who you really, let's say it again. Who you are in Christ who is who you really are. That's your true identity. Amen? And once your identity is rooted in that, the fact that who I am in Christ is who I really am. I am saved. I'm healed. I'm delivered in Christ. I'm redeemed. 
I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus. I'm seated at the right hand of God in Christ. I have access, boldly, I can access the throne of the Father. You know, who I am in Christ is who I really am. When your identity is rooted in that, people's opinions will not matter. Amen? Your identity is not based on what, who, who says what about you. Your identity is based on who you are in Christ. Amen? But Paul says you need to acknowledge, meaning recognize as a fact, every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. So we're going to do that right now. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. I want you to hold your Bibles high up in the air. Let's acknowledge Every good thing that's in us in Christ Jesus. Hold your Bibles high up in the air. Say this out loud with me. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ. And a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want, to, I want you to remain standing, please. This morning we uh, have the joy and privilege to have with us Pastor John and his wife, Yvonne Walton. Dear friend of ours, just you know, mentioned that John, Pastor John and his wife are coming to Bangalore. Would you like to have them come and minister to us? So I quickly looked up their website. You can check it out too. It's johnwalton.org.nz. They're from New Zealand. And I, one of the things that really impressed me was, you know, they have so many years of experience in ministry. I said, God, we can really benefit from the wisdom they carry. So I quickly replied, said, yes, please. You know, I'll tell them they're welcome to come and minister to us. And so this morning, we're just delighted. Um, just a quick introduction here, John Walton. He's the uh, founder and uh, senior pastor for pastoring for more than 25 years, a large church in uh, Palmerston North, New Zealand. And then for 10 years, he was a leader of over 100 national churches. And he travels and he ministers in churches around the world. And his wife, Yvonne, also ministers with him. Uh, they have five children who are also all involved in various aspects of Christian ministry. The eldest son, Anthony, was also a senior pastor at church right there in New Zealand. He's the author of a book of Practical Wisdom for Pastoral Leaders, 101 Do's and Don'ts on Leadership. So we're just delighted to have them with us. Let's put our hands together. We welcome you. Please come. Uh, pastor John and Ivan Walton want to have you with us this morning. Come on, let's give them a warm welcome this morning. That's beautiful. Thank you. Wow. That's so lovely. It sort of compliments my gray hair. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you, and you're allowed to sit down if you wish. If you want to stand for the rest of the service, that's okay too. God bless. It's really great to be with you. Yvonne and I have been married 48 years. 48 years with the same man. Isn't that something, man? And anyway, any advance on that here? Any um, longer than that? That one at the back? Some of the old gray heads over there? Amen? It's amazing what happens to you when you get gray hair, you know, and you're getting old. I heard of a man the other day who was 83, and he went to the doctor. He was absolutely totally deaf, and the doctor had a healing for him. He fixed him. So a couple of months later, he was walking down the road, and the doctor saw him, and he said, my word, you must be so happy that you have your hearing back. He said, I'm very happy, doctor. And he said, I suppose your family are very happy. He said, no, I haven't told them yet. He said, I just, I just sit around and listen, and I've changed my will three times. So that's what happens when you're getting a bit old. Amazing, isn't it? But um, yeah, I was in Bangalore, Yvonne's first trip to India. I was in Bangalore back in 1981. That's the same year as we founded our church. Uh, my son, Anthony, he's my oldest son, was uh, an extension of Tungling Bible School, which is a great Bible school in, in Singapore. And we ran a school here for about, um, I think, about eight months or, or a year. And so that was my time. But Bangalore has changed, my word. It's a great city. I like it. Who likes Bangalore? Yeah. Who is prejudiced? <laughs> I mean, no, it's a great city, and our whole country is four million people, and we have a landmass of probably as big as Great Britain and Scotland, you know. So uh, that picture of that road that you had up there was totally empty. That was taken in New Zealand. I've never, I have never seen a road like that in India anywhere. 
never, especially in Mumbai, where we have been for a couple of weeks. This is actually our 40 or 50th sermon we preached in the last uh, yeah, for about four weeks. So we're sort of getting, you know, we're getting fresher all the time. And here's my wife. I'm doing all the talking. I'm going to talk the second part. Well, it's just wonderful to be here in India. I've heard so much about it. My son used to be absolutely wrapped in India. But he's now a missionary in the, uh, Mexico and uh, doing a great work there amongst the poor people. Um, but we have five children and they're going for God, as you heard. But we had 12 grandchildren and we just lost our 13th one, died just two and a half months, three months ago with the swine flu. So we've been feeling very sad, um, just believing God that he'll somehow make up for that because God knows the big picture, you know. If we sow in faith, there will be a reaping, I'm sure. Okay, I just want to speak a little bit this morning about from 1 Corinthians 3, um, verse 8. It says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one. Each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building according to the grace of God, which was given to me. And I believe that, you know, we know the harvest is great out there, but your pastor asked us to speak on the strengthening the local church. And, you know, I think we need to keep working with those that are amongst us as well, that, that they can be built up and and watered and blessed in God. And over the years, I have 20-something years ago, about 27 years ago, we've been in the ministry for over, well over 30 years. And, but my greatest heart has been towards the new Christians and those that come in. You know, I think babies need mothers, don't they? And um, I've looked after them for years. I've looked after the pastoral side of the church and women's work, and all those other things. But I do feel a real connection towards the new Christians and the new people coming into the church because I believe that God has some good things for them to do. And we need to, my heart is to, to value those people and add value to their lives so that they become mature in God. Because, you know, God has a huge value on every person. He loves them exactly as they are. Their different giftings, their different personalities, their races, their nationalities, they all have a value in God's sight. And God's no respecter of persons. He has something special for everyone to do. But so often people don't develop as they ought to because maybe that they need someone beside them to give them courage. And I just really believe that that is a very important task in the local church. The local church is the greatest thing on earth, I believe. Deathless family, and it's going through to eternity. It begins here. And when I was uh, very young in the ministry, I said to God, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to be a friend to people. And I said, Lord, but what about a servant? He said, I've many servants, but not many of them are friends. He said, I want you to minister up to people. I want you to love them as they are, accept them as they are, pray for them, and let me change them. You know, so often we think we have to do the changing. But, you know, we can just show them the way. And one of those greatest things, and I was so thrilled to hear your pastors speaking about it, is hospitality. Opening the, our doors to the needy wanderers. Opening our doors to those that perhaps don't have a family and, and including them in our family. Hospitality, the scripture says, is a covenant of salt. And we all know what salt is. It's something that preserves and it's something that brings life. And so we need to be people that are involved in that. So often we can put ourselves in a box and we can say, my gifting is this, or my gifting is a teacher. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a pastoral person. 
But, you know, Paul says that we are all called to be an evangelist. And one day, many years ago, I was at coffee with a whole lot of ladies, and they started to speak about their gifting. And some of them said, well, I'm a teacher, and I'm this, and I'm that. And I never heard about this or understood it very well. And uh, so I went home and I said to God, please show me what my gifting is. And I felt God say to the, this to me, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Sometimes we can limit ourselves in our own thinking because we think we can't go over that wall. But you know, I've, I believe if we're going to be called to mission and and go over the wall, we're going to have to have lots of giftings, aren't we? We're going to have to pray for the sick. We're going to have to lead people to Christ. There's all sorts of areas, so I think we shouldn't be living, just limiting ourselves to one or two things. So we need to be people that are not doing things out of a duty, but doing things because we really care for people. And I just want to tell, say a few words on the things that add value to people's lives. Number one is loving unconditionally. So often we'll love a person for so long and if they don't do it our way, then chop. We don't want to know them. But Jesus loved people unconditionally. I think of that woman at the well that he, he met there and he, she was someone he wasn't supposed to speak to. Um, but he entered her world, and he crossed cultural barriers to be there. And, you know, so often we can stick in our own holy huddle, but God wants us to reach out beyond ourselves. And he touched that woman right where she was, and what an expander of the gospel she was. Number two is believing in people. A lot of people can't believe in themselves because of what they've been brought up in, or the failure of a family to make them feel included. We need to believe in them. And um, <clears throat> sometimes some people don't seem to deserve it because they're always being a bit naughty. But we still love them and believe in them and let God change them. Number three is serving them, doing some real things to them, inviting them into your home, making them feel special. And you know you'll see such a change in their lives and in their behavior. There's a powerful dynamic in serving people. I've really found that over the, over the years. Another one is to honor them. If naught is poor and 10 is good, then we need to put a 10 on their heads, on our, fa on our children's heads too. That goes for a lot of people. And if we believe in them and put a 10 on their head, they will be a 10. But if we always put a knot on their head and see them in that light, that's what they'll be. So we have to be ones that go that extra mile encouraging. And number five is encouraging them up to another level. So often people stay in the same level, don't they? But we can be encouragers, encouraging them to rise to new challenges in their life. Number six is discipline helping them through the disciplines and hardships of their life. When God is molding us and making us, he puts us through tests and trials to bring the best out in us. Sometimes it doesn't bring the best out in us. But we, if we see people going through these trials, we need to be ones that stand beside them and encourage them till they get the message. Because the because otherwise they're people that stay in that same place year after year. I think of Joseph. He went through a lot of trials. He was put in a pit when he was only a boy by his own brothers and left there. There's many other trials that he went through in the prison. And even while he was in a prison, it was said of him that he, was a, he prospered in everything he did. So we want to be a people like that. There are things that devalue our lives. Number one is unbelief in God's ability to bring changes. So often in our minds we can be limited in thinking that God can change or that he can work things in our lives or in the lives of those that we mentor or care for. 
So we need to bring that belief area into a reality. Number two is negativity. Not having our cup half full all the time, half empty but half full. Knowing a fullness in God. Taking away that negativity. Always thinking of those, that scripture in the Philippians that speaks of thinking on the good things. And that will help to change us. There's sin, number three. Number four, we can't receive love and accept it. There's a lot of people that don't believe that people can love them because of situations of their past. And that can help, that can devalue their lives. Number five is no self-worth. So often people look to people for their self-worth. We look to our partners or our husbands or our wives or our family for our self-worth. But that self-worth we have to look to is from God because he's the one that brings us our self-worth. If we look to people, our self-worth goes up and down on what people think about us. And that can change quite readily, can't it? So we need to see who are we investing in. There's only three things that are going through, and that's God, his word, and people. And so we need to invest in the things that God's investing in and see people's lives changing just by reaching out a hand of friendship and building the kingdom of God and seeing it thrive on the earth. Alexander the Great said this. He said, put me in a coffin with my hands turned outward. He said, though I conquered kingdoms, I left this world empty-handed. There was a man that did great exploits, but it counted for nothing when it came to eternity. We need to live for the eternal. Live for those things that please the heart of God. God bless you. Good. Good stuff, Yvonne. Great. I love being in this church. It's got a good feel. Amen? They reckon it's going to go places. It is already going places. And I like what your pastor is because he doesn't tell you what you aren't. He tells you what you, what you are. And I like that. I go into churches and I can tell the ones that are always getting guilt trips put on them. You know, it's amazing. People say, you don't talk about sin enough. I tell you something. Jesus never even talked about sin. He just did a good thing for those fishermen. When he went down there and they were fishing away and they couldn't catch anything, he, and he wasn't even a fisherman, he was a carpenter. But he said, fish on the other side, and they were successful. Man, absolute successful. And what's Peter say? Depart from me from a sinful man, O Lord. Amen? God, the goodness of God leads men to repentance. Wonderful. I want to talk this morning about attitudes that build or attitudes that destroy. In the church, so we've got to have attitudes that's going to build. If it's in my family or in my establishment and business, I need to have attitudes that are going to build. And I'd like you to read, first of all, in John's Gospel, chapter 13. And we'll just uh, read a few verses there. I like John's Gospel. Who loves John's Gospel? Fantastic book. I like it because it's named my name. Uh, I was going to say it was named after me, but I couldn't boast of that. And uh, I love it because one thing I'm not going to talk about, but it talks about the Father... 127 times John's gospel and John's epistle because Jesus the way the cross is not the end the cross is the doorway to the father's love amen I'll talk about that next time I come here we go now before the feast of Passover when Jesus knew that his hour was come that he should depart from the world to the father having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end and I won't read all this because you know it well basically it is the feet washing time it's an atmosphere of love there was a jesus brought the culture of heaven to earth and here he is he's coming out from the father he's going back to the father and he's bringing the love of the father to to earth he's giving us a taste of the culture of heaven amen and so here of course he has a bit of problem with peter because peter didn't want his feet washed he wanted to be washed all over and then he took another extreme and and jesus said well you can't you can't have a part with me unless you just have your feet washed so he gets extreme and, and Jesus puts him straight. Peter, God can handle Peter's, but he can't handle Judas's. Amen? There's a guy in here called Judas and he's ruining the church, this whole atmosphere of love. Now, 
Judas, it says here in verse 21, when Jesus said these things, his, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say, one will betray me. This man was Jesus troubled in spirit. You know, Jesus had a trouble meter. He could tell whether something was wrong. The spirit of the meeting has gone wrong. There's someone wrong here. Now, I know there's no Judases in this church, but sometimes it can start with hurts, just a hurt, and that hurt grows, and then it becomes a wound, and then we begin to involve other people in my, in my hurt, and that spreads and it defiles others, and it can become betrayal. That's a tragedy. And so that's, I guess that may have happened with Judas. He had an attitude that was negative. He did something, someone hurt him, and he began to uh, become uh, spread his attitude of hurt, and it became betrayal, tragedy and he sold away Jesus. I had a woman wing me one day. We were having a healing campaign in our city. And so um, this young woman came to me and she said, I'd like to bring my daughter along. She needs healing. I said, are you, from, are you in a church? She said, no. I said, she said, I used to be in a church in another city, but I, I dropped out and I don't go to church anymore. And I, I said to her, why did you drop out? He said, she, I got hurt, she said. So she drops out. I said, I have been hurt also. And if I let my hurts grow within me, all my blessings to other people would be gone. And she was nothing because she never went to the church anymore because she got hurt. Amen? You see, what the tragedy is that hurts can take away, if we don't deal with our hurts in our lives, it can bring an attitude in life that will bring the negative and it will not cause you to grow in God. See, the attitude... Attitude determines our altitude, like this thing on the, on the overhead here. Uh, can I see this down here, can I? Okay. This is an, the attitude is the same as a wing. A wing the, the attitude of a wing of an airplane determines its altitude, right? So if, it, if the wing is inclined upward, that, that we get lift. If it's inclined downward, we get drop. Here it is, the wing of the airplane. Here it is, he's flying good, we're flying uphill. And, uh, but unfortunately, the attitude's changed, and we crash. Amen? I forgot I even had this. I did this years ago. Anyway, but, so I ask you the question, is your wing inclined up, or is your wing inclined down? Are you, is your attitude going to give you a lift, or is your attitude going to give you a drop? Turn to the person beside you and ask them. No, perhaps you shouldn't. You could be in trouble. All right. Attitude can cause all sorts of problems. I remember my business, I've had a few businesses before I went into the ministry, and I had a plastics company, and I used to go in the morning, and as I drove down our street towards my business and turned into the alleyway where my business was, I could feel a wall. It wasn't a wall, literal, but it was a wall of attitude. I could feel it before I even got to the factory. And so I walked, as I usually do, I walked around the different departments of my factory and I walked into the injection molding department and I had a guy there who was brilliant with plastics but he had a real problem with attitude. He had a bad temper that would rise up very readily and he, I could feel the smoke rising in the injection molding department. I said, what's wrong, Jack? He said, who left this machine like this last night? I said, well, actually, I did a night shift. He said, you know you're not supposed to leave it like that. And I said, why not? He said, I don't know, but you don't. And of course, he was speaking to the boss. And the chemicals began to rise. I don't know where they come from, somewhere down here. And they're <laughs> rising up like this. And I wanted to, I wanted to fire him. But he was at, and I thought, perhaps, what shall I do? I, I'll get out of the department. And I began to walk up the factory floor. And as I walked up the floor, I thought to myself, I will fire him. And then I thought, he's too valuable, I can't do that. So I got into my office and I sat at my office desk and I put my hands on my desk and I thought, I should be praying for grace. No, I don't want grace. And then after a while, I had the grace to pray for grace. And I said, Lord, just give me grace. You know, God changed my attitude completely. No longer a reprisal, I went out there to, to love the guy. I mean, not hug him, but love him. Yeah. <laughs> And so I walked in and saw him in the factory office, and he was still white hot. And I put my hand out and I said, put it there, Jack. I'm really, really sorry that I upset you this morning. And he didn't know what to do because he's used to this. He said, but if you take that away, there's nothing to fight. Amen? And you know what he did? He followed me all day and he couldn't do enough for me. 
I thought, what a wonderful method. And of course, you could use that as manipulation, use grace for manipulation. So, because I, I'm on Jacob character, I had to deal with that and let the Isaac come through, the, the, the Israel come through. Okay. Anyway, you see, the problem with today is that so often we're blaming other people for the, the problem. As a guy drove into a service station in New Zealand, they used to do it, but they don't do it anymore. They wash your windscreen. And so she drove in, his wife was sitting beside him, and he drove into the service station, and the man came out and washed his window, and this grumpy old driver said, it's not clean, wash it again. And so the man dutifully washed it again, and he said, it's still not clean. And then his wife leant over, and she took his glasses, and she said, Honey, it's not the windscreen, it's your glasses. And isn't that so true? We look at the way we see things. Amen? You see, when we abide in him and he abides in us, it changes our attitude. You can't change it by making New Year's resolves. They've gone within the end of January. Uh, when's your year? Oh, same as ours. Uh, so, you could see, uh, New Year's resolves don't last. Yvonne had a, a house group and they were having problems as mothers in the ladies' house group. And uh, I've given the kids to the fathers, it would match better. Anyway, the mothers were having problems and they thought, we'd better make some resolves that we're going to be better mothers. Like, for instance, instead of going crook at them, we'll count ten before we do. That sort of thing. And then we'll check out at the end of the week what it's like. Well, the end of the week came and, what? guess what? It was the worst week they ever had. I had been speaking that Sunday on abiding in him and him abiding in us. So they decided that instead of making resolves, they would spend their time with the Lord first thing in the morning and make sure that they meditated on his word and just drew from the Lord each morning and that changed their week. Amen? You see, it, it, we can't do it of ourselves. Amen? It's when we abide in him, our fruit comes and our fruit remains. Great thing, changes all our attitudes. You see, there's a chain reaction with attitude. We used to, I was born in a, in a very strict religion, exclusive brethren, so exclusive that we wouldn't eat with any other Christians. We thought we had the only truth and the only way to come into it was to come to our church. But we didn't have any churches in India, so I don't know what, what expected to happen up here. Or we had one little one in Bombay that, that wound up. Anyway, I'm going down all sorts of funny tracks here. What am I talking? What was I talking about, Yvonne? I'm talking about um, yeah, attitude. I was too. Anyway, our church, when we went to it, as kids used to call it the grind, the grind, because we'd found it the best place to meditate on all the things we wanted to do in our world, uh, rather than listen to the old fellows talking. But you know what? My dad was a different kind of man. I'm so grateful for having the most wonderful father and a wonderful mother that believed in us lived righteous lives and believed in us and loved us. But my dad was different so much. You know what he used to do? He would go along to church early just to watch God's people coming in. And he would bless them. And he would think of them. And he would pray for them. And you think of perhaps a, a sister that may have lost a child. They may have gone through a divorce or whatever it was. And he would just bless them. Amen? And you know what? When a, you have a nucleus in a church that's blessing it'll spread through the whole church. Amen? Your attitude in your workplace will change everything if you change. Amen? It will change. Your marriage will change if you change. We want to put it on the other guys, the problem, or the problem. It's usually, it's usually Yvonne's fault. Of course. But you see, if we change, that's what matters. I won't go into that any further because I could be in trouble. Anyway, here we go. Attitude means posture. It means our manner. It, it involves our emotions and action towards a person or object. It's the aspect of an aircraft as it presents itself. Posture. You can tell. I can tell just the way a pastor walks whether he's going to be successful. Amen? The other way I can tell whether the church is any good by the, the pastor's wife's face. I just look at the pastor's wife's face and if she's smiling, he's got a smiling church. Amen? And I know this is a good church because she's smiling. And not only smiling, it's coming through. You know, it's beautiful. And you don't have to be good looking. She is good looking, but you don't have to be good looking. Amen? You don't. I went born to say I was in a Presbyterian church, and I don't know why. They all laugh outside, but as soon as they get in the church, they go all sober. You know, really sober. 
And, but I decided to get with the pastor and, and with the minister, they don't call him pastor, they call him reverend. Anyway, he was, um, we were sitting, uh, talking to the folks as they came out, and there was, everyone was looking real sober looking, you know. And this lady, I'd given my testimony that morning, and this lady came down, and she, her face was scarred. She'd obviously had a burns or scolding or something that had caused her face. Humanly speaking, ugly. But when she looked at me and she shook my hand and she said to me, I know what you're talking about. She shone with the, with the countenance of Jesus. Amen? You don't have to be good looking to shine. Amen? It's the attitude of the heart will come through the countenance. Eventually, that's the story. I wasn't going to tell this, but I'll tell you. There was an artist one time in Paris. You may have heard this before. And he, when he, was, he wanted to paint the best-looking young boy uh, in Paris. And so he searched all over Paris, and he got what he thought was the best-looking young boy, and he painted him. And about uh, 20 or 30 years later, he decided he would paint the ugliest man in Paris. And someone, he went through the streets, and someone said, go to the jails. So he went to the jails, and he found what he thought was the ugliest man, and he began to paint him. And guess what? As you already guessed, it was the same boy. Amen? The attitude of the heart will eventually express itself in the countenance. Amen? Don't look at anyone right now, please. <laughs> Amen. Attitude. So, um, you see, often people, their attitudes come from, as Yvonne was saying earlier, just unresolved issues of childhood. Often it can be all kinds of things in our lives. Bad labeling. If we've been labeled by our, by our father, a father that doesn't love us, uh, parents that no longer love each other, all those things can mar us and affect us. That's the wonderful thing about coming to the church of God and coming into a church like this where you, we can change, amen? And we can begin to change our generation and let the blessed cursings of the past now be blessings for the future, amen? You can change your future generation. I'm, I've got a wonderful heritage, and I, I'm not skiting in that because it's, I'm so grateful for wonderful grandparents and great-grandparents and who love me through and through, and I thank God for that. That's a great advantage, but you don't need to be a disadvantage. Amen? Because God is your Father. Amen? Wonderful to know that. Well, you know, the greatest success of Joseph, everyone was talking about Joseph. Joseph had all incredible attitudes in spite of absolute, he could have reprisals. He was sold by his brothers at 17 years of age, and he was only coming to their welfare, taking all the supplies out into Shechem to, to help them. He'd, he'd unfortunately shared his destiny, but why shouldn't he share his destiny? I've actually tried sharing mine once, and I got into trouble. Uh, they didn't sell me into and put me in a pit, but he got put into Egypt, and he could have been cowering in a corner, but his attitude was incredible. He said he was a prosperous man, and he caused prosperity to the whole household of a heathen captain of the guard, and his whole household was blessed. Then he got cursed and put into jail because they blamed him uh, for raping his wife when, or attempting to, when he was, when, and he ran from it and was misunderstood and put in jail. But he still ministered to the other prisoners whose countenances were down. That's amazing. I said to myself, why was he successful? What made him successful? He was successful because it said Israel loved Joseph. Jacob's, no longer Jacob's name, Israel, the prince of Israel, loved Jacob and gave him a coat of many colors. And he wore his destiny. Why don't you wear your destiny? Amen? Amen? Do you know why I've always had a sense of destiny? Because I had a father that loved me. Amen? And you know, there's no seeds of failure in that. That's a motivation with no seeds of failure. Often motivation, success can come out of desire for, undue desire for recognition, can come out of a revenge, can come out of all kinds of things, but it has the seeds of destruction in it. But there's no seeds of destruction in the father's love. Amen? So uh, we need to be the person talking about an unresolved things in your child. I remember hearing a story about a guy who was driving in the country and uh, as he drove in the country all of a sudden the car went bomb, 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 had a flat tire and he wasn't very happy about that. So he got out and he opened the boot no jack, couldn't fix it what can he do? He was grumpy, very grumpy none of you would be grumpy in that situation uh, especially your pastor, he would never anyway, 
he's not allowed to be. All right. Anyway, he goes, looks up the driveway, and up at the end of the driveway was a, was a farmhouse, and there was a truck parked by it, so he thought, they will have a jack. So as he walked up the long path, long driveway, to the house back in the, in the fields, he was saying to him, he was being very grumpy with himself, he was saying, all his unresolved issues were coming up. He said, uh, angry about what had happened, and how the, the car had no jack in it, and he was going on all the way up, and he said, this farmer won't be any good anyway. He won't want to lend me his jack, and he went on. And by the time he got there, he knocked on the door, the farmer opened the door, he said, keep your jack, and walked away. And then he began, all people are like that. See, that's unresolved issues in a person's life. Sometimes what we, uh, if our expectation is of that level, that's what we'll get, amen, in life. How can we change? Well, sometimes we, uh, in, you know, sometimes we, our attitude changes through just, just someone gets ahead of me. Or someone gets an advancement in the job which I think I should have got. And so we want to pull the establishment down. You know, like the boys building a hut in a tree. If you, if you won't let me build the hut, I'll pull the hut down. You know, we, we, we don't do that as adults. We, we dress that up beautifully. But the same spirit can be there. Amen? And we have to recognize those things in our lives so easy. Because maturity is constructive. Maturity is forgiving. Maturity is, is mutuality. Maturity is being honest with myself, with my own attitudes. And maturity has a high respect for community. You know, community is a wonderful thing. I call it the culture of love. Amen? I love it. And we're spilling it. We're going to spill it out and every round. I love what you're saying, you're doing over Christmas. We've led hundreds of people to Christ through our own home. And we've done it by going to their, the non-believers' home. And they go to their homes often when they won't come to ours. And we do. And we've seen some wonderful results. And then I get the people in our church to... And when I'm doing seminars sometimes on evangelism, I got them to write on their hand, GMO. So, okay. If you've got a pen, who's got a pen? Write on your hand, GMO. Okay. Are you allowed to write on your hand in India? I'm not sure. It's, it's like tattooing. Uh, anyway, I should get it tattooed, shouldn't I? AMO. Now, I want someone to guess what that means. And if you can guess it, I'll give you a trip to Hawaii. But if you're getting close, I'll withdraw the trip. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you what it means. And this is your prayer every day, every morning. Give me opportunity. Give me opportunity. You see, the problem is we pray that and we say, I hope he doesn't. Because you see, we need to be bold people. You might be born shy. I was born a bit shy. I'd drive for miles and didn't know what to talk to the, to the next person about. So I fixed that. I got a book. It was written by a woman called uh, Soundright. It, it was actually Jesse Cotton's course of conversation to tell me how to communicate because I wanted to communicate. If you can't communicate, if Jesus couldn't have communicated, we wouldn't have got the gospel. Amen? The, the disciples went out and said they persuaded men concerning the kingdom of God. Sometimes I ask the person, could you in a, in a brief five minutes share what the gospel is all about to somebody that's a non-believer? We need to learn to do that. Amen? Learn to communicate. And so give me opportunity. But, you know, the amazing thing is God can give you ways of doing it. And God arranges opportunities that he arranges and they seem to be so natural. All these coincidences happen. When you stop praying, the coincidences stop. You know, it's wonderful. You know, some people think, I can't witness, I can't share the gospel. One lady came to a pastor and said that. I can't share the gospel. He said, don't worry about it. Very strange thing for a pastor to say. Anyway, he did. He said, have you got a car? She said, yes, I do. Do you go to a supermarket? She said, yes, I do. He said, do you know anyone in your street that has not got a car that goes to the supermarket? He said, yes, I do. Well, you could take her to the supermarket. And then you, could be, you don't have to share with her, just witness to her. And you show her the love of Jesus. And then maybe after a little while you can invite her in for afternoon tea because you formed a bridge of relationship into her life. And then you can invite someone else to share their testimony if you find it hard to talk. Or you can give her a book and bless her. There's lots of ways of doing it. Amen? You can maximize on your opportunity if you've got the attitude of Jesus in your heart. Amen? Another one, I wasn't going to get into evangelism, but here we are. I love it. 
here's a man sitting on a seat in, in the States in America, and he's sitting alongside the lady, and he begins to talk to her and finds she's been through a lot of difficult times. And, uh, and so because he's built the relationship, he says, could I have your name? I want to pray for you, send you a gift. I want to send you a card, sorry. I want to send you a card for Christmas. And she, because they've built up a little relationship on the seat, complete stranger, but she gives it her name and address. And he sends the card at Christmas. And then he sends a card and a book at Easter. And she said, I read the book, and I knew the book was true because I knew the heart of the person who gave it to me. And she said, now I'm converted. I'm in an AOG church. Amen? Walking with God. She maximized on the opportunity. I tried that once when Yvonne was shopping for three or four hours in Sydney. I don't think it was three or four hours. It was probably only about a quarter of an hour. But anyway, it felt like that. And I was sitting there and a woman was beside me and I thought I'd have a good chat to her. You see, and I were chatting away and she was crying. I thought, oh, what's wrong with you? And she said, have you been through something? I said, yeah. She said, I'll say. I, I walked into that window and it really broke my nose. So I had a long talk with her and found she was from way down south. But you know, I didn't do it. I didn't get her name. I missed the whole opportunity. I could have just had that opportunity. You know, there's wonderful things. We have the attitude world of Jesus walking in our lives. Wonderful. Our time has gone too far. How are we, how are we doing for time? We're over, are we? Yeah, okay. Two minutes? 20 minutes? Phew. This is the church. I like these churches. And no one's walked out yet. Okay, ways to change. Put that up there. Ways to change. These are good points. Number one. Is it up? It's down here. Determine to flourish in the place where God has planted you. Determine to flourish. I'm going to flourish in this church. I'm going to be a contributor. Amen? In my workplace, I'm going to flourish in my workplace. I'm going to change the attitude. I don't care what the attitude of my boss is. I don't care if he's ripping me off. I'm going to change. Actually, I, I'm convicted at this very moment, actually, because I, got a, I spent two hours trying to find a church yesterday where I was speaking. And, I was, and they, these little rickshaw guys, they, they lead you all over town and tell you where you're going and then rip you off. It's supposed to be 14 cents and it was 50 cents. 50, not cents, rupees. I said, I, I don't like getting ripped off. I just realized my attitude isn't too good here. I have to learn to change. I'm, it's a change. Anyway, number two. Resolve that whatever, whatever happens, I'm going to have an attitude to build this establishment as a home, a business, or a church, like Joseph or like Daniel. Amen? You might be put in the worst circumstances like Daniel, but what did Daniel do for Babylon? He made them, he shone in Babylon. Number three, I will flow with the team. You're not just a church attender, you're a church contributor. Amen? And you're a committed person. I, I saw a little booklet that your pastor wrote, The Power of Commitment. It is powerful, and there's joy in it. It's not drudgery. It's joy. And there it says, I will be there to flow. Some of you will be, How can I, I want to flow, but you've got to be there to flow. That seems obvious. Number five, with the help of God's word and others, I will be thoroughly honest about my own emotions and character flaws. We've got to be really honest. Even Shakespeare said, to thine own self be true. And that is true humility when we're prepared. You see, what your enemies say about you is often more accurate than what your friends say. You've got to be true. And then it says, verse six, I will be teachable. Number seven, I will go, not go underground with my complaints, but I'll come to the light. Amen? I had a very sad church recently I had to deal with because the, the associate pastor wouldn't go to the pastor and share his complaints. He told everybody else. Potentially would ruin the church. But thank God we were able to deal with that situation. And because it says, and then goes on, it says, I will change my thoughts and confessions. And number nine isn't on there, I don't think. I will meditate on the models God presents. Meditating on great women and great men of God have done wonderful things for me. I mean, one man that I meditated on a great deal was a wonderful man that you owe so much to, William Carey, who was a great suffering. Who's heard of William Carey? Read all about it somewhere. Get that book called From Jerusalem to Aranjara, telling you of the missionary movements into India, Africa, and to China. Absolutely inspire you. When you read about those people, that'll change you. You'll, you'll become like those persons. Amen? You'll gain something from them. From their, just think about them. Ponder their lives.
and it does amazing things for you. Amen? I heard, I read a book, little book called Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a, a Jewish, Austrian Jew who was uh, taken to the Auschwitz death camps of Germany in, during the war. And that was a dreadful, dreadful place. He lost everyone, his sister and him were the only ones that lived, his parents, his wife, all he lost in that dreadful, dreadful camp. And in that camp, the guards were, were so evil and they would uh, said we have to go on these marches, uh, work marches through the mud and our, our soles were worn out, our feet were through the bottom of our shoes. Some of our, uh, another fellow prisoner would fall in the mud and I would try to lift him up and they'd thrash me for it. He said, I hated the guards. Everyone hated the guards. He was incredible. He said, one day I was standing in a hut, a mud wall, and he said, I was in a despicable state and the clothes all just ripped and torn, uh, starvation. And he said, I suddenly realized that there's one thing those guards couldn't take from me, and that was my ability to respond as I choose to respond rather than them making me respond the way they want me to respond. And as I began to do that, hope began to come. I changed my thinking and I began to think of, of the time when I'd be outside of the camp and I'd be able to share with my students some of the experiences I've been through. And as I did, he said, hope began to change and my attitude to the guards changed and they changed towards us. First of all, my fellow prisoners thought I I was uh, trying a method to gain something. He said, but after a while they caught on with it. And he said, the wonderful thing is, because of that attitude, the dynamics changed, and he got taken out of that camp into a much less, a bad camp, but not much less than all switch. And he lived through it to the day when they opened the prison doors. And as he came out, he saw the light of Jesus' glory and the, that wonderful moment when he came out. You see, in the most incredible conditions, and whatever the situation, we have the ability to choose how we will respond rather than how another person will cause us to respond. Amen? Now that's godlikeness. That's maturity. And maturity and attitude does amazing things. You see, when the attitude goes out, in chapter 13, it goes on to say here, and I'll finish with this, and it says, when, uh, verse 31, and when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Amen? When the attitude goes out, the glory comes in. Amen? When the attitude's gone, the glory returns. And there he says in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Amen? That's the community of love. I feel the glory in this church. Amen? I think the old attitudes that you used to have are gone. Amen? Well, they're on the way out. But I like, the, I like your, your wonderful statement at the beginning. We use one similar sometimes in our church, holding our Bibles up and making positive statements. Amen? That changes us. Labeling with right words. Labeling ourselves with the right words. Sometimes we label ourselves wrongly. Like, for instance, one day I did something stupid. So I said, you are stupid, John. And then as I drove down the road, I thought to myself, I'm not stupid. So I repented. I said, John, you acted stupid, but you are not stupid. Amen? You see, we take on labels with ourselves. I can't do this. It always goes wrong for me. Amen. He always does that to me, you see, and that's how it goes. And I had a little daughter, you see, she was really slow, beautiful. We had five boys, and six years later, we had a beautiful blue-eyed blonde girl like Yvonne here. And, and uh, she was so slow. She was beautiful, but she was slow. And when she was going to school, she'd wander down late and come back. I said, what do you come back for, Joanna? She said, I... I forgot to kiss your mum. How could you say anything? And, but I was determined not to call her slow. I said to her, Joe, you act slow, but you're a really quick girl. And of course, sometimes she could be quick. And so she is the fastest thing on wheels nowadays. She's quick. She is a real efficient person. But if I had labeled her with slowness, she'd have it for life. 
Amen? We've got to label things with God's labels. Amen? Tell us what we are, not what we're not. And we will rise to be it. May God bless you. Amen. Thank you. Well, let's just give uh, Pastor John Walton a hand. Thank you so much. Thank you for ministering. While we rise up to our feet, just call the worship team up. Let's take some time right now just to respond to the word this morning. Dealing with attitudes, I know we laughed a lot, listened to all the stories. But I think God also wants to do something in our hearts. And we need to allow God to do that work. Bring about a change in our hearts and our lives. Allowing God to touch us in the innermost being. Saying, God, yes, my attitude does matter. Whether it's my home, whether it's my place of work, in my school, my college, towards people who might be troubling me. Why don't we just take a few moments to pray and say, okay, God, I'm willing to let you change that. I haven't been carrying a good attitude in that area of my life, in that situation. But here this morning, I've heard you speak to me. You've put your finger on that. And, and so, God, please change that. Can we take a few moments to pray and our worship team? If you just could play, play quietly for us. And could we just pray before the Lord? Father, we just thank you for your word. For just speaking lovingly and yet so clearly into our hearts this morning. We want to be people, God, who by your grace will have a good, healthy, positive attitude in every circumstance, in every situation. We'll have an attitude of faith when we see impossibilities. And we will have an attitude of love, Lord, when we face hatred and animosity and conflicts. And God, we will have an attitude of peace in situations where things are really troubled and difficult. God, we will have an attitude of hope in the middle of discouragement. Father, we just pray that right now you will work in our hearts. We thank you for your word and we thank you for the work of your spirit. Bring about a change in us. We invite you to do that. As you're standing here, if you feel that the Lord's speaking to you and saying, you know, I need to change that. That situation in my life could be totally changed if I change my attitude. The environment in my workplace can be totally different if I change my attitude. If you feel the Lord prompting you, you feel the Lord just touching you, I want to encourage you to yield and say, yes, God, I will change. Give me the grace to change. I receive your grace to help me change in that circumstance. That's it. Father, may your healing flow in this very area of our hearts and our lives, even now, Lord. Change our hearts. Oh God, we pray that no bitter communication come forth of our mouth, but that words of grace will come instead, that will edify, that will build that will lift people up. Touch homes, touch marriages, touch relationships, touch our attitudes. We just thank you, Lord. Before we close this morning, we'd like to give an opportunity for anybody who has not received Christ into your heart, into your life. We'd like to give an opportunity to do that right now. If there's anyone here, you're probably visiting us or just coming to church. Maybe it's your first time in church. Bible tells us that anyone who receives Jesus, to them he gives the power to become the children of God. That's an awesome privilege. All you have to do is to receive him into your life and he gives you the privilege of becoming a child of God. If there's anyone here, you've never received Jesus into your life. I'd just like you to do that right now. Just You, you could just pray a simple prayer like this and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, change my life. I need you, Jesus. Help me to follow you the rest of my life. If you just pray a simple prayer from your heart this morning and call out to Jesus, he will change you. He will give you the privilege to become a child of God. If you've prayed that prayer this morning, we would encourage you to meet with us. Pastors will be here, meet with the pastoral team, all the business welcome team. Just tell them that this morning you prayed and you gave your heart to Jesus. Let's close. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time and your presence and your word. What you've begun here, God, this morning, we pray will continue it by your spirit throughout this day, throughout this week. We will see 
changed hearts, changed attitudes, and therefore, God, we will see changed marriages, changed homes, changed relationships, changed workplace environments, because, God, you began something here. And we ask that you will, we thank you that you will continue it, Father. We give you thanks. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.